Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Killin' Sticks Arrows are for the serious hunter, a company that understands the needs of the outdoorsman and provides five different styles of carbon fiber arrows, ranging from hunting to tournament arrows. If you want premium carbon fiber arrows, go to Killin' Sticks, K-I-L-L-N-S-T-I-X.com to review their carbon arrows. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason show, use promo code OUTDOORS to get 10% off your first order. Killin' Sticks, where the blood trail begins. Welcome to this week's episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. This is really going to be a fun episode. I've got Kara Wattenin on, and Kara has been fishing the pro walleye and, and pro bass circuits uh, through the United States as a co-angler and as on a team. And so this is really going to be a great opportunity for everybody to just understand how this process works. And Kara, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Really good. I, I'm really, really happy to have you on, and I appreciate the the ability for you to come on here and, and educate myself and the listeners on how all this works. If if we could, I'd really like to start off with a little background on you to bring everybody up to speed So before we talk about fishing. Sure. Well, I grew up, I was born in North Carolina, and both of my parents are actually from Minnesota. My mom was born and raised in Golden Valley. And my dad's from Ely, which is way up by Canada, the gateway to the Boundary Waters. So when I was 10, we moved back to Minnesota after living in a couple different southern states for my dad's job. But they figured it was time to move home for them and brought myself and my older sister back to Minneapolis area. And that allowed me to really go up to our cabin more, which is up in Ely and fish and hunt and really, really fall in love with the outdoors and outdoor education and really seeing how the outdoors can not only help a person develop and gain so much self-confidence and so many different skills, but really how it can be sustainable as well. So that's kind of my background in a nutshell for you. Oh, thanks for sharing. Now, you've got a strong foundational background in the hunting and fishing from your parents and your location. I mean, that's just a great location to grow up to do all of that. When when you moved into the pro fishing arena, what was it first, bass or walleye? I actually moved into, it's, it's kind of strange, actually. I went into the pro fishing side on the land side of things. I actually started as a public relations intern at, at FLW Outdoors. So I was on the water, taking pictures, writing articles, interviewing, learning tactics, and all of my start in tournament fishing came from being a PR intern. It was crazy. But then I got so... You, you can only run around in the boat so much and take so many pictures of guys catching fish that it kind of gets boring sometimes and you want to go out and do it too. And I'm competitive, so I was like, well, why can't I do that? So that's when I started. And I originally, I was like, I love walleye fishing. It's like the Minnesota State fish. So I wanted to do walleye first. And that's what I started with and started um, just doing some charity tournaments in 2011 and branch off and 
we did like fish fillet challenges at the governor's fishing opener here in, in Minnesota and hunting opener. But that's really how I started tournament fishing was on the public relations side. And then I jumped. And then you went straight into the walleye fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Those bass guys are super hardcore. And I'm not saying walleye guys aren't because they're just as hardcore as the bass guys, but walleye is a little bit smaller of a community. So I wanted to really be able to, there's a, there was a tournament series for walleye called full throttle fishing. And Mark Schutz is a tournament director. He now works for classic bass. He is a phenomenal tournament director. He ran a great system. It really allowed a competitive group, a smaller, but a really competitive group of walleye anglers to battle it out on lake that were good fisheries. And it really, it allowed me to really get that confidence that I needed being behind the, being the total captain of my boat for the first time. And I had a partner, uh, I fished with another female, her name's Katie. She was great. So we had an all girls team and it was literally like some girls go shopping. Katie and I just go fishing. It's, it's just what it is, but it really allowed that tournament series allowed not only myself, but Katie and I to really dive in, just full fledged dive in and throw everything we had at it, but cool. in a more controlled circumstance, I guess you could say. All right. So you were captaining a boat at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this was local, uh, lakes and rivers around Minnesota. Yep. Um, so that was all Minnesota the first year. And then, um, last year as well, I did the aim series, which is the aim pro walleye series, weekend walleye series here in Minnesota. And then they have a division for Wisconsin and North Dakota as well. But we fished a couple of the Minnesota events. I fished those as well as co-angler. I was the captain in AIM, and then I co-angled on the National Walleye Tour. And this year, I really wanted to focus on learning everything I could on the National Walleye Tour. So I made that my primary tournament series for walleye and just co-angled this year and then started bass tournament fishing with my partner this season for the first year. Cool. So with the listeners, explain to us, as you moved in and decided to do the uh, Cabela's National Walleye Tour, mm-hmm. that was this year was the first year you did the full tournament, correct? Nope. I did the full thing last year oh, and okay. I finished, yep, I finished eighth out of 254. I'm sorry, I was so thinking was... you did just a tournament or two last year. Oh, no, that's okay. Yeah, things get so jumbled up. But, yep, I ran the full series last year. It was so much fun. It was, we went to some pretty challenging locations, that's for sure. But we hit them at the right time of year that the fishing was feast or famine. And it was great. I had an awesome season. I was really nervous to start. Just, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. You just kind of sign up and show up. Yeah, it was crazy. But And speak of that. Tell everybody kind of how that sign-up process works. What what did you do? Uh, how does it work? What are the expectations? What do you bring when you actually show up? And wh- what's the requirements? And what are some of the things that you, you should have lined up? Yeah, so um, they usually open registration in January. It's like the first or second week in January every year that they open registration. 
Last year, what I did is I signed up with a pro angler. So I found somebody who needed a partner for each tournament. And it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be paired with them. It just means that you're signing up together on the same entry form, which means you have a guaranteed entry into the event. So if they get, like, for example, if you had 100 pros and 105 co-anglers that came in and signed up, Whoever was, whatever pros and co's signed up together would be the first to guarantee. And then they go down and tear everybody else up. And if there's too many co-anglers, they, you know, they cut those people and just say, sorry, you know, you didn't get into this event. But if you sign up with a pro angler, you're guaranteed entry. Got it. Yep. So that's what I did last year. And super good question about what to bring or how it works because I had no clue. I literally showed up in Sandusky, Ohio last year going, holy crap, what am I going to do? So you sit at a rules meeting and the chip and the tournament director, Anthony, go over all the rules and then they call names. So they they literally will be like, vote number one, pro Mark Martin, co-angler Kara Watton. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I got paired with Mark, my first one. And then you, you walk out and you find your pro who will be holding a number card. So the number card is your boat number. So you find them and they usually tell you if they want you to bring anything. I've been really, really lucky that all my pros that I've ever fished with the past two seasons, they don't expect you to bring anything. A lot of times it's just, it takes up more space in the boat. Those pros know what program they're running. They know what colors, what weights, what everything they need. So they don't want other stuff just cluttering it up, which is great. It makes your life super easy. Basically, you bring your rain gear. I always brought a life jacket just because a lot of the life jackets I found in the pros boats were rather large on me particularly. So I always brought my own life jacket. And then, yeah, rain gear, life jacket, snack, a really good attitude and a (laughs) put your work boots on kind of mentality because you are there to execute their plan. Oh, that's neat. So you get in there realistically, and I I heard in an earlier interview I did with uh, Mike DeFibba that you show up, and like you said, you bring a good attitude and a willingness to work hard, obviously clothing appropriate for whatever time of year and location you're at, and by working hard, that you're, you build that good reputation, but you don't have to worry about traveling with and rods and reels and repair parts and tackle boxes and all that other stuff, you can literally fly in with a suitcase and be ready to go. Yeah, and that's that's actually exactly what I did for my first event. Um, The rules meetings are typically on Wednesday if it's a Thursday-Friday event. So I flew into Cleveland on that Wednesday of the rules meeting. Um, One of my buddies who was already out there came and picked me up at the airport, drove me to my hotel. I threw everything into my hotel room. I got in the pro's car who I signed up with because they were staying at the same hotel I was, and we drove to the rules meeting. So it's very much just if you can't be there until the day of the rules meeting, that's totally fine. A lot of us co-anglers, they travel with teams or they just find other people who might need some some extra help pre-fishing, which is what I did this year. So I got a little bit more background knowledge on the bodies of water and just more time on the water, which is what I really wanted to do. So you have those opportunities to maybe shoot somebody a message through Facebook or text them if you have their number or ask one of your buddies who's fishing it, hey, 
you know, do you have any room for me to pre-fish with you or anything like that? And most of them are pretty cool about it. Very neat. And so it's just a hardcore fishing school for the co-angler. It is. It's totally, I work at an elementary school in Hopkins, Minnesota. And after my first event last year, my kids were super stoked about it. They were like, oh my gosh, how was it? Like, this is so cool. And I work with third through sixth graders. So they think it's like the coolest thing since sliced bread that a girl is fishing. And you're on YouTube. And yeah. And yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Miss Kara's all over the place. But so what I told them, I go, it's literally like fishing boot camp because, and I mean, maybe it's just how I think of it because I want whoever I'm with to do the best they can because that helps me out. You know, like your weight, unlike bass tournaments, Bass tournaments, you each catch your own five fish. Walleye tournaments, it's five fish per boat. So if you do really good as the team, and then, you know, you we switch partners on day two. So you get a new pro for day two. You know, your weight as a co-angler would carry over. So if I had like 45 pounds on day one, it would carry over and add to my weight for whatever weight I would get on day two. So you want to do good and want to work hard and make sure that you're helping your pro in every way possible while you're in the boat with them. It's very beneficial for the pro to teach you as much as they can, as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. Yep. And most pros, you know, they're really good about some of them don't, when you get paired up right away, some of them don't want to say what they're doing because there's all the other pros are around. So they don't want to tell you right away. But when you get in the boat with them, like a lot of times they'll tell you to meet them at the landing or some of them will pick you up at the hotel or whatever. They'll tell you once you launch the boat on day day one before you're taking off, they'll tell you what the program is. So that way, you know, and a big thing with co-anglers, like, and our tournament director, Anthony, stresses this all the time is you do not say anything to your day two partner. You know, like if a certain color is working or if a certain tactic is working, and you're doing that on day one, you can't say anything to your day two person about what you did. Right. Like you, you are literally just a body in the boat. <laughs> and it's like, oh, sometimes it's super challenging, but you really can't. And those guys work so hard, so you don't want to get in their head either. And it's, I think of it more as a respect thing for the pro. You know, they've put in their time hundreds of hours or whatever they do researching and practicing and working on the water off the water to get a plan for that tournament and it's not a co-angler's place to come in and be like well during pre-fish i did this 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 unless they ask you i've had pros ask me what my opinions are once they kind of feel you out and see see that you're legitimate you know some of them will open up a little bit more and ask you questions or if they're struggling they're like well what do you think we should do and that's that's your opportunity to really kind of, I don't want to say show off because it's not that. It's just really share what your knowledge is that you have because it might be different. But if it's not, it's not. Well, and leading into that, you ended up fishing the whole tournament this year for 2017, including mm-hmm. the final in uh, Wisconsin, not too far from, from your home area. How was that? How was the whole tournament overall? Because I want to reflect on an article you also wrote. So I'd, I'd like to cover both sides of it, you know, how you liked it, but also the the harsh reality. Yeah, this season, um, kind of like I said earlier, I just wanted, before I used to think like fishing, I had to fish a lot of tournaments and I kind of burnt myself out and there was some stuff that happened 
last year that just basically just sucked the absolute joy of fishing out of me. Like I didn't want to fish this year. I I literally told the people I fished with, well, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I know where my future goals are. So by taking the season off, it was basically going to bite myself in the butt. So I decided to fish the season, just did the co-angler thing for National Walleye Tour, no other walleye tournaments. And it was... (laughs) It kind of started, the whole season kind of went exactly how my mindset was. It wasn't, for me, it wasn't good. Coming off last year's season where I finished eighth overall, I I kind of felt like I got hit by a Mack truck. I mean, day one, we were on, this year we started in Lake Erie again, and we zeroed on day one. And that's like unheard of, to zero on Lake Erie. I mean, it was mind-boggling, but it was when the lake was turning over, so it was that like one and a half week period that the lake was just dead. That's when our tournament was. Oh. And we only caught, yeah, it was, oh, it was bananas. And then we only caught one fish on day two. And it was, oh, we had horrible waves. We had like six and a half footers, seven footers coming back in. It took us two, almost three hours to get back to take off from where we were on day two. Like an 18, 19 foot boat? Uh, he had a 621 Ranger. Oh, okay. And, yeah, he's from Kansas. Uh, Jaron Cox, if you ever get paired with him, prepare to laugh your butt off. He is hysterical. He's a funny, funny guy. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I had so much fun with him, but it was like, gosh, we suck. That's <laughs> rough water. It just, yeah, it was, it was just bad. And so, I mean, I knew it, like, right out the gate. I was like, well, on the co-angler side, you can shoot for angler of the year, too. And then your entry fees are paid for for the next year. And... I don't have any financial backing. Like a lot of guys have a financial sponsor. I don't have that. It's working like my normal job. I do woodworking on the side and custom orders and stuff like that. And, you know, every now and then I have somebody, if I really can't make it, they'll help out. And then it's like, I'll pay back and stuff like that. Because they know that I this is what I want to do. You know, and they, they see it. But Lake Erie was rough figuratively and literally, mentally and physically. It was just a rough tournament. And then where did we go after that? Oh, we went to... Uh, Lake Sakakawea out in Garrison, North Dakota. Neat looking lake. It is. I would love to live there. And I don't say that lightly. It is a absolutely amazing fishery. Amazing fishery. There are so many different types of fish there and they're huge. Like, oh, it was, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to go back there. I wish I could just get in my truck and go right now. It was so much fun. But again, guys who, I think it's like a 120 mile run they made, like it was from takeoff, it was bananas. And the, one of the guys I was paired with was a local. He had never fished a tournament before, from what I understand. He didn't know that it was two, like you and your partner were one weight. So it was just very... All over the place. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, well, you sh- you know, bring your jig and rods and this and that. And I'm like, buddy, I don't have any of that. That was the first time I had ever been told to bring something. And I'm seven and a half hours away from home like oh yeah let me let me run home real quick and grab my fishing rods and then come back we we didn't do super well but we, we had like 17 something pounds I don't even remember but he yeah I, he was so nice and it was just it was just a cluster it was bad we were late getting in the water we missed our takeoff time the lady at the ramp was laughing so hard because she goes I've never seen a girl let alone a human being back a guy's trailer in the lake that fast and it was 
I had him down the ramp, unhooked, and he was off, and I was up the lot and running back to the boat with his keys because you don't want to be late. Like, you don't want to be late, and we were late. And then day two, it was just, I was with Jake Lapine, and he was, um, he's so sweet. He's, all these guys, I've been really lucky. I've been paired with some really, really nice people, and they, like, Jake was great. We just, we couldn't get on him that day, and it just didn't find him. So didn't finish well at that tournament either. And then our third stop, we were at the Mississippi River in Prairie du Chien, Prairie du Chien, somewhere down there, pool 10, 11, 9, 10, 11. And we sucked there too. It was just, <laughs> it was just bad. And I mean, I was paired with Scott Duncan day one and he's hysterical. I, I just couldn't stop laughing the majority of the day. And he goes, we're going to one spot. That's all I got. And I go, oh, all right. And I mean, that was, we, we went back and forth between like a hundred yard stretch all day. Oh, geez. And it was, yeah. And day two, I was with a guy who was from like an hour south in Iowa. And we roll up to the wing dam he wanted to fish on. And there's Mark Quartz, the guy who wins the whole dang thing, sitting on that one wing dam all day. And we're like, well, he's, you know, we're not going to roll in on him. It's just that sportsmanship thing. If he's already there, you know, and he's got a much better chance to win it than we do, we're not going to fly in on him. Like, that's just not, it's not my game. It wasn't the. Um, pro I was with it wasn't Clayton's game so that we just rolled on and did our own thing and I don't know I think that was like I finished like 80th so going off of whirlwind season in 2016 to absolute crap in a handbasket 2017 I was like oh my gosh please take me to Green Bay just let me get to the championship so because I fished all three you you automatically qualify so we get to Green Bay I love the Bay of Green Bay. I love fishing out there. It, it fishes exactly my style. It fishes exactly how I like to run planer boards. It fishes exactly how I love to fish. So any any style of it, cranks, spinners, jigging, it fishes how I like to fish. And last year, I actually finished fourth on Green Bay when we were out of Sturgeon Bay. So I was really excited to get back there. And day one, I was paired with Robert Blosser, who was leading for Angler of the Year. And I'm like, there's a picture on my Facebook that I literally look like I'm going to puke because I was so nervous. I was like, oh, my gosh, to whatever fishing gods there may be, <laughs> please let me fish the best day that I can so this this dude can win Angler of the Year. Like, I do not want to lose this for him. And we went out and <laughs> we fished hard. And, and he said it on stage. He's like, he caught all four of the fish. I caught two of them jigging. Uh, doing rip and wrap, which was awesome, and two of them on cranks. And I don't like to say trolling, like I caught it, he caught it, whatever. They were just on my side of the boat that I was using. So that's his game, but it was very cool to be able to fish with him and be able to really show him that, hey, I'm not just somebody who signs up like I really want to do this. And that's cool. Yeah. Let me ask you to explain something, too, because I have a lot of listeners that have never – you know, like seeing the Great Lakes or have any idea of really the concept of how big they are and how people fish them. Uh, would you mind explaining a little bit about to people who might not know what planer boards are and things of that nature, how, how you use those? How do people yeah. that fish the lakes use those? Okay, so a planer board, it's a piece of plastic that's in the shape of like a two by four. And then one side is tapered down into a V so it glides more easily through the water. It has a float that is embedded in the back of it so it actually stands upright when you clip a line to it and I'll get to that in a minute and they some boards have 
flags, which are called tattletale flags, that are spring-loaded. So what you do is say I want to run a Berkeley Flicker Shed number 7 at like however far down in the water column I want to go down. So then you would let out... 20 feet, you know. Yeah, so then you would let out however much line is equivalent to that. So I think it's like 100 100 yards of line, 100 feet of line. Yeah, 100 feet of line, something like that. It's close. So I would let out 100 feet, and then I would stop the line. So on the board, there's a front clip, and yeah, we'll call it a front clip, a front clip, and then there's a back clip. So what you do is you clip the line directly into that front clip, then you pull the line up a little bit to give it a little bit of slack in between the front clip and the back clip, and then you clip the back clip in. So it actually bows the line a little bit. And then you would just put your drag on or put your clickers on so that like really annoying sound (laughs) that we all don't like to hear. (laughs) You put that on and it actually walks the line out. So the whole point of using a planer board is to spread your lines out and actually create, it's like a drag net but with no net. So you just are covering more space of water and you can cover a lot of different areas in the water column. And then that lets you know, say, if you have that number seven that you only let out 80 feet and you're getting hit on that consistently, that tells you where the active fish in the water column are rather than just looking at your Ray Marine unit or your Lowrance unit or Humminbird or whatever you're using. Because you can see the marks, but it doesn't mean they're going to bite. But if you're looking at your board and you see that board, what they do is when a fish, so if I'm playing those crankbait, if a fish hits it, what will happen, that board will slide back. And it just, like the boat keeps trolling forward, that board will slide back for that flag. You can set those springs so when that line goes back, and Offshore does a really great job with these. Uh, They just came out with a new flag system and have great YouTube videos. Actually, Zach Jobes does a really cool tutorial on it. If you want to Google that or YouTube that, he does a phenomenal job on explaining the spring-loaded action. But you can set the spring so the flag actually flips down. So rather than having to watch for those boards to go back, because sometimes they don't go back really fast. They kind of take their time and tweedle their little toes back a little bit slower than you would like. But those flags will snap down. So all of a sudden you look out. It's kind of like watching a tip-up for ice fishing. The same concept. That flag goes down. Well, in tip-ups, flags go up. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's flag just the disappears. reverse. Yeah. Flag disappears and you have a fish on. So it allows you to have that visual as well as rather than just watching the rod tip. Right. And for the That's listeners, what that allows it to do is as Kara's explaining, is I can put two planer boards off of one side, uh, 130 feet out, one tw- I'm picking distances, doesn't matter, you know, 130 feet out, 120 feet out with lures at different depths, a couple of rods off the back side of the boat and a couple planer boards off the other side and drag that imaginary net across and just give the fish all sorts of opportunities to hit. And so mm-hmm. in the show notes, the, the videos that Kara talked about, I'll have links to those so you can see them. And uh, I have links to the all the NWT tournament stuff that Kara has been mentioning. So you can look at that because uh, it's really fun to watch and um, it's neat. But as we go through all this and you're an experienced fish 
person. You've done the tournament circuits. You had a rough go this year, but overall, how have you been accepted as you walk in? This is a sport predominantly men. Women do well in it, but it's predominantly men. Have you been accepted real well, and have, has there been any problems? You know, that that's a funny, a funny line I have to walk is there are some guys on tour and some guys just in the fishing community that are all about it. They are so supportive and so great, like, because they know that I'm not somebody, unfortunately, girls get a bad rap because you see all these girls on social media that, you know, wear the skimpy clothing and all of a sudden they're on 20 different bait companies pro staff the next day. You know, like, I mean, that's, it's just a, it's a legitimate reality. Right. That it's, it's just attraction is marketable. <laughs> Let's face it. We all know this. So going in, I was really nervous that that's, you know, what everyone would think. That that's, oh, here's just another girl that here, here comes this little blonde chick who, you know, thinks she can fish. And, here comes the beauty pageant. Or my, yeah, here comes the pageant queen. Like, let, let's let's play that card. And, you know, some there are some guys who are so, like I was saying, have been so wonderful. Like I was paired with Mark Martin. And... I could tell Mark Martin was so hesitant. He was, yeah, 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 okay, you know, like trying to coach, you know, being very, very coach-like. And, you know, that's one of the big things. If you do fish as a co-angler, make yourself coachable. I don't care if you know what they're talking about or you don't know what they're talking about. Do everything they say. That's <laughs> Get in and do everything that pro says to do. That, that's it. But there's some guys that have been... I, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you. And there, there's been more guys that have been this year, especially because it's my second year. They know that it's a real thing. It wasn't just a one-hit wonder coming in. Like this is what I really like to do. This is what I love to do. Like John Gilman has been so great. Like just explaining anything that I had a question on, or Kevin Carstensen has been phenomenal. Um, you know, all these guys. Edge to Husky, I mean, Bob Brueger, oh, I could go on and on and on and on and talk about, like, Robert Blosser, like, Joe Okada, all these guys that you see on social media that are, like, Keith Kavayich, all of us, they have been so cool with a legitimate girl coming in, but then you have the guys who have you know, really, really put a damper on things. You know, last year I was, um, you know, doing, being a captain of my own boat, running a series here in Minnesota, fishing just like every other year, just going out and tournament fishing. And there are some guys who, you know, would send me death threats and wow. just post post nasty things on my social media, like calling me all these names. And it's like, you kind of sit there and, you know, like I said, I work at a public school. I work for elementary kids. And you see the bullying on an everyday basis there. And you kind of think, oh, it goes away when it gets older. It totally doesn't. And I, I hate using the word bully, but that's exactly what it is. It's like, oh, my gosh, guys, what is going on? Like, what what did I ever do to deserve? Like, if, if I'm a jerk, you, you have every right to be a jerk back. Like, that's, that's life, you know. But there was the biggest wake-up call I had was I was fishing an event on Leech Lake, which is in Walker, Minnesota, kind of northwest Minnesota. And Leech Lake is a phenomenal fishery. So that tournament always goes to capacity. It always goes. And my partner was staying with 
his fiance uh, elsewhere. So I usually camp in my truck. Not a big deal. Saves me money. Keeps me safe. No big thing. Um, I was asleep in my truck and I knew we had some bad weather coming in. And all of a sudden I started hearing these thuds. And I'm like, what is that? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's hailing. And I'm like, oh crap. You know, so I opened my eyes and I'm like, wait a second. It's not hailing. And I'm looking at the side of my window. I drive an SUV, so I'm kind of in the lower back part of my SUV. And I'm looking at the window, and I can see these splatters. Oh, no. And I'm like, like, what is that? And I finally realized, after kind of waking up abruptly, I finally realized that they're eggs. And I'm sitting there. I'm scared because I'm by myself. I'm livid because someone's egging my truck and my boat. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I'm kind of sitting there going, do I get out and say something or do I just let them finish? And I chose to just let them finish because there wasn't anything I could say or do at that point. Like if someone has that much animosity towards something, no matter what you say, they're going to carry out their act. All I could see from where I was, because it was dark and we're in a campground with no big pole lighting. We're staying at one of the little ones right off Leech Lake. I could just see three body outlines and I could hear them laughing and talking to each other. That's and I was like, I'm sitting there crying. Like, I'll, I'll play the girl card on that. I was a total hot mess express. Like, tears just like, <laughs> sobbing in the back of my truck. I didn't have cell phone service, so I couldn't call anybody because we're in campground. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I just let them finish. I let them walk away. Let them get back to wherever they needed to go. And I waited about 45 minutes to an hour. And it felt like a lifetime. I've I've never felt timelines go that fully. Then I got up, unplugged my boat, and my boat was still covered. Thank God it was covered or that would have been horrible. Um, Pulled everything. You know, I didn't have anything else sitting out of the car. So I just pulled the chocks out, made sure everything was still connected, made sure that my boat was connected. There was no damage to my tires, anything like that on my truck or my boat, and just rolled out. And I, at each campground, they have those clean water wash stations. So I ended up washing my truck off the best I could and washing my boat off with those water sources. And then I drove and I slept in a different parking lot closer to the launch. Because, I mean, I like I needed to sleep. I had a tournament the next day. And so it was kind of that competitive nature. Like, oh, well, sure. I didn't, you know, I didn't want them to see that they had rattled me. And they did. I mean, they, the next day was the worst day I had ever had on the water. Um, we took off. I had massive boat issues. My windshield busted. My live wells broke. My power went out. Like, it was just... So we got off the lake. We called the tournament director and said, hey, we're coming in. We're done. We don't... My partner and I made the decision, like, we don't want to do this today. We can't. Like, now this is a safety thing. We have bad weather coming. We can see it coming. And I have no windshield and I have a piece of a glass windshield laying on the floor of my boat. Like, this is stupid. Let's just call it what it is. It's not our day. And we went in and we were floating at the launch and walker. So there's this little kind of inlet. And I was on my phone talking to the tournament director. He, he just told us to call him when we got there. So I called him and there was one of my partners in another team uh, saw us running in. And so he got really concerned that, well, why are they going in? You know, like, like I said, we're kind of family. So when you see somebody hauling butt across the lake at nine o'clock in the morning, holding stuff down on their boat, you know, something's wrong. Right. So yeah, he came in and checked in and I just told him, I was like, we're done, bro. Like we can't, we're not going to do it. And he took one look at my boat and goes, yeah, you know, he's, he is a dad. He's a grandpa. He's like, yeah, get off the water. It's better safe than sorry. And 
I'm sitting there on the phone with the tournament director and, you know, he tournament director shows up and comes down and I didn't realize that there was a team fishing the point that was maybe a hundred yards away from us, not even. And that team, whomever it was, apparently called the tournament director and told them we were on our cell phones cheating. So then there was this whole rumor about us cheating and us getting DQ'd and kicked off. And it was like, oh, I'm done with it. We are not in high school anymore. Grow up. Put your big boy pants on. We chose to get off the lake for safety. That was the only time I've ever chosen to get off the lake for a safety reason, ever. Like, wind and rain don't really bother me. Waves don't really bother me, especially in a tournament, unless it's like, okay, this is really sketchy. Uh, But it was a legitimate, I didn't want glass to go all over my boat. I didn't want to do more damage to it. Didn't want to put my partner in jeopardy. So it was like, holy cow. And, you know, there's there's guys still to this day who some of them that fish NWT, some of them that fish other events around here, you know, that just can't get over the fact that a girl fishes. And it's, I always just say that that's their own prerogative and one day they're going to accept it, but I'm not going to stop doing it because they can't handle it. Like, I'm not going to put my, my dreams on hold for somebody who can't understand my passion to do the same thing that they're doing. It should be, I don't care if you're an alien from outer space. If you like to fish, you have a spot in my boat. Let's go. Like, <laughs> that's just, I guess it's just my different mentality of how it should be. But oh, that's maybe how it it's should 90s. Be. Yeah, and for a lot of guys, it is. Like, there are so many of them that are so great and are really supportive. But, you know, unfortunately, there's always a couple. I always say, what is it? One sour apple boils them all or one bad apple ruins the bunch or something like that. And that's kind of last year it really put me in a, after that, it really messed with my head and well, really put me in a messed up spot. So, And that's a shame because, uh, you know, I, I look at it as I don't care if you're a man or a woman. If you are willing to teach me something on fishing, hunting, whatever it is, man, I'm all ears. Let's do it. Um, you know, and I've said this for years in the shooting field. I see a lot of women that are that go out and do the competitive shooting of rifles, mm-hmm. and they're just better than men. They're calmer, uh, and maybe I'm making an overgeneralization, but I've just seen women go out and dominate in that uh, when they really put their mind to it. And so, if I walked up and you're the you're the pro in the tournament, and I get placed with you, I don't care what your gender is. Let's go fish. You know, that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, and I think. Um, a lot more guys are starting to come around to it. Um, like it being my second year fishing NWT, you know, they, these guys only see, I mean, you kind of kind of like put it into perspective. They only see a, like four times a year, right? We only have four events every season. So when they only see you four times and, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, she she's kind of in, she's kind of not. And then they see you again in the second season, grinding it out and working really hard. And they, like, pros notice that kind of stuff. They know who's going to put in the effort. And they know whether it's based off your social media, your blog, your whatever, you just being there. They know, they kind of get a gauge. Like, they're really smart. <laughs> Most of those guys are very perceptive to someone who's going to work hard. And I think that with this year, even though finishes weren't necessarily where I expected them to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's just kind of what it is. I can't, I can't change where I finish. It's just how it is and how it's going to go down in the record books for this year, unfortunately. But you can only control how that. hard you work. Nobody can control yes. the fish. 
that's the huge variable and that's what the whole tournament's based on. And it's the one variable that there's basically no control over. Right. And that was, um, one thing before, like when I started this season, again, I was talking to, um, a, a gentleman who used to fish as a pro on NWT and he goes, don't make your goal to win because as a co-angler, it's incredibly challenging to win. And it is because you get shuffled so much. I mean, it's like, holy cat's pajamas, like you're all over the place and you have no control over the programs. You have no control over anything. You just get in the boat, hold on and do the best you can for whatever program the pro you're with is running. And he goes, make, he goes, I'm challenging you to this. He goes, make sure that when you fish, make sure that every pro has something positive to say about your work ethic when you get out of that boat. And it, it was something that really hit me like, really hard because you know everyone gets so focused on I want to win I want to win I want to cash a check I I want to do this I want to do that and it's like no one ever really says well I want to work hard today and I'm totally guilty of it I don't wake up and be like I'm gonna work hard today I'm gonna I'm gonna tie my shoes like a champ Like, (laughs) like nobody says that like it's realistic to not say that but but the work ethic is one of the few things that you is in your control and that's right. That's great advice to say, hey, when when you come off the water, because all those pros talk, and anybody that thinks mm-hmm. they don't know, are there going to be some rivalries and, and things? Sure. But they all talk. And so if you say something to a pro about what was done the day before, that pro is going to tell help. that other pro, and you're yep. done fishing that tournament. Nobody's going to want you. Uh, yeah, and it, it's sad, and it happens It happens so frequently, and I think that's why, like, that situation specifically, Anthony is so, our tournament director is so avid, like, do not say anything. Like, do not. You know, it's it's against the rules, and that was what I set out to do was literally make sure that every pro that I got out of their boat said at least I worked hard or I, or I wanted to learn something. And, it you know, I, I can probably say comfortably that the majority of the pros that I got to fish with this year would say that. And that's what you, you want know, to I, say. Yeah. And that's totally, that was, that was my goal this season. It was learn as much as I can work as hard as I can and make sure that everything I'm doing in a boat is going to benefit whoever I'm fishing with, right. whether I'm catching fish or not, like at least fishing as hard as I can. But yeah, it's no. been a good run. See, the the cool perspective is that you bring both the captain, uh, the pro, and the co-angler side to this. Uh, one thing for the listeners, let's say nobody has a boat, but they want to just fish walleye from the shore, which is doable in you know most locations. Oh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about, like you mentioned bringing a rain suit. So if somebody's going to go into the co-angler circuit and they're going to be fishing in basically any time and carry a rain suit... What should they be looking for? What are some of the brands out there? Where do they? Where's their best spot to start? You know, and rain gear is crazy expensive. Like, I don't know if you've had to buy new rain gear lately, but it's like that market is bananas. So I'm I'm on a budget, but I also want stuff that is incredibly durable and will last. Mm-hmm. And the brand that I really and it's you guys are gonna think I'm crazy when I say this because I think I'm the only one on tour that wears this stuff, is Carhartt. Carhartt makes a phenomenal, it's called the DS Storm. 
they make a phenomenal fishing specific rain gear. And it's great. I mean, like you can move, it breathes, it dries out fast, it's lightweight. It's it's awesome. Like I <laughs> I was really kind of hesitant. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone thinks Carhartt is like the farmers and, you know, the, the journeymen and the rugged outdoorsy, like, oh, like burly lumberjack <laughs> dudes. But it's crazy. Their rain gear is so awesome. And they they make a couple different versions of it now, but it's at a great price point. Um, it's it's the best rain gear that I've ever worn. I can tell you that. Neat. I'll now, put a link in the, the show only, notes to it. Yeah, and it's it comes in red, blue, whatever. It's, it's great. Now, just because I'm a female, I like my jacket to be cut for a women's body type. Just, I mean, we're built differently. It's just how it is. And guys' jackets on me are just a little bit too boxy. Like, they don't taper in at your waist. And it's not like I'm trying to make a fashion statement. It's a legitimate function thing because fishing rods get stuck in there. And sure. you got too much extra fabric flailing around. It's not a good deal. The jacket that, along with the Carhartt jacket, um, the jacket I wear during tournaments is a Cabela's, I believe it's called the Angler Parka for women. It's great. It's cut for women, lightweight. You can layer underneath it and you can layer underneath the Carhartt stuff too, which is phenomenal. So if you look at a more, you know, you're looking at going to Lake Erie in April, you still have that room to layer rather than bringing your ice fishing suit, whatever you have, clam striker, whatever it is. It's, yeah, those two are probably my favorite. I really, like I said, I'm on a budget. So those Carhartt pieces are my go-to, uh, absolute go-to. And we actually did a little test on them this year just to see how good they were. Now, we take our, in the summer, I work with the fifth through eighth graders in our summer program. And we take those kids camping. This year, it was going to rain, and there's this really big hill called Mount Tom at the campground we go to, and we go to Sibley State Park, which is out in western Minnesota. So I brought my rain gear, and sure enough, boy, did it storm. It rained and rained and rained, and I was like, all right, I'm going to test this out. So I put on a legitimate for the top. I put on a garbage bag, and I put on my bibs like I was, I was going, and I took off full-fledged running and slid down Mount, part of Mount Tom on my knees. <laughs> Now, normally you would think, okay, you're going to rip your seams, you're going to tear something, you're going to do something stupid to your rain gear. Nothing. No, not even a separation, like a little bit of a separation of seams. Nothing. It, they're phenomenal. So if you're looking to stay at a really affordable rate, I would say Carhartt, hands down, top notch. Sims is really good. It's a little bit higher price point, but they make phenomenal stuff. They do a really good English-specific line as well. I would go with either Carhartt or Sims, but well, Carhartt are kind of my baby. <laughs> I need to pull mine out and check them out. I uh, years ago I worked at Gander Mountain, and oh yeah, they went through which they're going through now again. They went through a bankruptcy and they had to liquidate everything. And I had been looking at this pair of uh, Gore-Tex uh, with uh, you know a polyfill built-in liner that was removable, uh, bibs and a jacket wonderful gear and but it was it was crazy expensive you're talking 350 bucks or so well yeah with, with that bankruptcy i ended up getting that set for about 80 bucks and oh dang and if you looked at it now and i haven't worn the bibs much but i've worn the paint uh, the coat a lot and mm -hmm. i'll tell you what i think you'd it'd take a lot to damage that coat and if you put that liner in man are you going to be warm there's just no no way around it that thing is uh 
just like a bombshell. So if I can, <laughs> if the bibs haven't shrunk, I should still have a good outfit to wear. Oh yeah, you'd be fine. And that, that is really important just because where we travel to these states, I mean, there was one day in North Dakota and mind you, we were there in May. So you're thinking it's going to be a little warmer at we were pre-fishing and, and we took off and it was like 37 degrees. I mean, I was in my rain gear and I had sweatpants and then like leggings underneath that because I was so cold. And then I had, I wasn't cold once I got everything on, but then I had two long sleeve shirts, a sweatshirt underneath my bibs. And then I had my jacket on and then I had mittens and a beanie and ski goggles because you're still running the boat at like 50, 55, 60, however fast you're, you're going. I mean, like that. If if that's one thing you're going to get is get good rain gear, <laughs> get good outdoor outdoor gear that you can wear fishing. It it makes the world a difference. What do you wear for uh, footwear? What would somebody look at for footwear? Honestly, it's it's really dependent on what you're comfortable in. Um, I don't. Some people wear flip flops. I don't like flip flops. I don't usually wear them in general. Um, I wear tennis shoes. I have the worst tennis shoe and sock tan line that I think I've ever seen in my life. It's so funny because I, I just wear them all the time. And that's what I wear in the boat or just a certain type of tennis shoe. It's really what, like, what works for me is I wear, there's this brand called No Bull, B-U-L-L, like the animal. Um, they're actually specifically designed for weightlifting. So they're a little bit flatter, but they have really good traction on the bottom. So traction is really important, especially if the deck or the floor is wet of the boat obviously you want to be able to stay stay planted if you're rolling around and not slip and fall and i'm super super clumsy like i don't know why my parents didn't name me grace because i <laughs> i'm like all over the place but yeah i wear tennis shoes all the time uh, some people wear sandals but what freaks me out and it's probably me just being like oh my gosh whatever uh, i don't want to get a hook in my foot or in the side of my foot and sometimes it's you know a boat or if a rod shifts, then it's by your foot and it goes down and it catches you. It's more more of that way for me. Like, I just would rather have my foot protected. But in the and cold weather, you got on, like, a rubber boot? Sometimes. Otherwise, I, I rock tennis shoes quite frequently. I just wear a, a thicker sock. Oh, okay. Like, rather than just regular cotton socks, I'll wear, like a, like, a smart wool or a legitimate wool sock. I just wear different tennis shoes then. Like, in the summer, I wear... They're called Nike Airs. They're just a little bit more hugged on your on your foot, so they're a little bit more streamlined. But and then Huck H U K is a really good brand, and they just came out with some awesome footwear. One of my buddies at work ordered them, and he wore them to work today for the first time, and I was super jealous. I was like, "Holy cow! These are the coolest things ever!" And they they're a specific fishing brand. So what they did is they took everything an angler wants and put it in that shoe that's a tennis shoe format. Oh, that's um, pretty slick. Which is really cool. Yeah. And there's there's some other ones out there. Like I I have a pair of Sim shoes that I wear every now and then that drain water. A big thing is just to remember that your feet are probably going to get wet at some point. So don't have an emotional attachment to any footwear you bring um, <laughs> at all because it, it's probably going to get thrown away at some point. If you do wear, like I know some of the guys that I've kind of traveled with the past year or two years, for colder weather, they do wear those big lacrosse rubber boots. For me, it just, I haven't found a boot like that for hunting or fishing that really 
gives me that circulation I need to really keep my feet warm and my feet get really cold really fast and the tennis shoes still allow my feet to generate a little bit of heat. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So for like hunting footwear, I don't <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever heard of these. They're called Steger Mucklocks. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're from Ely. Um, I worked there when I was in college and I wear those all the time. Like I I wear them for everything in the winter. They're the best because they're flexible. They allow your foot to move, but you still have that insulation warmth factor that's awesome. So I wear those all the time, but they make a waterproof pair. I just haven't gotten around to buying one for fishing yet, but it's on my list. I'll get there eventually. Very cool. Well, you'll be at the rate you're going and the, the stuff you're doing, I, I can't imagine that at some point you're not going to have people looking at this and saying, you know, we're going to we're gonna have her as a sponsor on our, our crew. So, you know, you're doing all the right stuff. I'm going to have links in the show notes to what you were talking about, to your videos, yeah. to your social media stuff, Kara, so that all the listeners will be able to just click right through and access it from my website and then go directly to your social media, your Facebook uh, or, or anything else, you know, to really be able to watch because it, it's been, I really want to thank you for everything you've brought to the table on this because as a person that's looking at the co-angling myself, plus for the listeners who, like I said, some of them are in the Midwest where that's really a big thing, but others are not. So for somebody say in Arizona to listen and say, you mean I could take a vacation or two or three, fly up to Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, wherever the tournament is being held, and I can fish. Wow, that'd be great to get out of the desert and go do that, or it'd be great to you know go do this. So it's really valuable information that you've provided, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. And I always tell people, especially connecting on social media, don't hesitate to shoot me a question. Uh, I I manage my page. I don't pay other people to do it. And I have a couple of moderators on there. So if one of us doesn't answer back or I don't answer back right away, it's not that I'm ignoring you by any means. But I love when people ask questions, especially about products and stuff that I use. Uh, I guess like I, I wear Costa sunglasses. If you don't have a pair of Costa's, let me know. And we will make sure to get you those because they are the best sunglasses in the world. Literally, figures. I'm not even joking. I've worn like every single brand, and Costas are my favorite. But cool. Yeah, I, it's it's anything. Like, and I know on my page I talk a lot about Powertran, which is a company based right here in St. Cloud, Minnesota, which is our west of my house. And I live about five minutes outside of Minneapolis. They make like jack plates, and they make. Um, trolling trolling accessories called the python which is a hands-free kicker motor system and i ran that last year on my boat this year as you know it's been an app like you should, everyone hears the word game changer all the time it's a legitimate game changer so cool so yeah if you guys have any questions or don't hesitate to ask i'm i'm an open book for whatever you need and even if it's just like a Hey, what would you? I'm going here. What type of lure would you suggest? Or hey, I'm going to be in Minnesota. Where do you think I should go fish or something like that? I'm totally down to talk and ask, answer questions or help any way I can. Well, that's awesome. And you know, I'm going to tell the listeners keep an eye on Kara. Get on her on her page, like it, follow uh, follow what she's doing because uh, we just started to see you just scratch the surface of tournaments, and it's going to be fun to watch where this goes for you. Um, as you move along the co-angler and I'm assuming it, next for you is either this year and within a few years fishing as a pro. 
I'm not going to jinx myself just yet, um, but <laughs> there's there's some really exciting stuff coming up. And it's, you know, everyone says trial by fire in the last two years have been my fire and I have walked through it. So I am happy to come out the other side of it and I'm ready to walk right back into it. Sweet. I can tell you that. Um, so, yeah, social media is going to be going to be where I drop news first. So if you if you are following my social media page, thank you already. I appreciate it. Um, and if you're not and you want to hear some fun stuff coming up don't forget to follow it that's where we release everything first and it's going to be big it's going to be a fun year and i'm really excited and i'll have links in the show notes for all that so it'll be real easy for people to jump out and follow you Uh, again kara i thank you for your time this was great very informative and uh, it's been so much fun watching you on the tour and watching the tour itself and I look forward to seeing more of you in a higher ranking and tearing it up position on that on that tournament. It, this is going to be yours to yours to take. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was great chatting fishing with you and just chatting light. I've really enjoyed it. Fantastic. This is a this was my pleasure. You have a great evening. All right, you too. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Come early spring, it's getting green Fisher on the bed Hear those turkeys gobble It's ringing in my head The winter rides bass boat Here comes another year Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Oh, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs. From early morning till real late, bonfires on the creek bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks Lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we So grab your guns, shells, boys Put on your camouflage Cause we command the outdoors around here We command the outdoors